to another Dynasty Podcast. Welcome back to the Dynasty Podcast, folks. We are live in person here in sunny Ringe, New Hampshire. I'm your host, Zach Holywater Darvaloff, along with, as always, Davey the Gravy Train Gurton. David, how are you feeling this morning? I'm feeling wonderful, Zach. Thanks for asking. It's a beautiful Sunday here in our new Ringe studio, and uh, it's an off week for the Patriots, so it's nice to have a little buy, a little break, collect our thoughts, focus on health, and uh, gives us an opportunity to really dive deep into three of our favorite teams today, all of whom are sitting at the top of the leagues. So how can you not feel good about that, right? Very true. And it's also a good time to sit back and reflect as, of course, the New England football Patriots lost their first game of the season last weekend to the Baltimore Ravens in what was close at times, but mostly a pretty commanding Baltimore victory. I think off the top, David, let's let's talk about that game. And what were your thoughts coming out of the loss? Well, I'll be honest. I didn't come into the game with the best attitude. I, I have Lamar Jackson on my fantasy football team, and I was kind of rooting for him to have a game against the Patriots. And I think I might have overrooted. Mm. So the blame can be partially on me, Bill, and Patriots. Um, I, I am a Patriots fan, but I was definitely asking Lamar Jackson to go off. And he took complete command. That first drive that Baltimore had was really just a statement drive. It felt like everything was clicking. Um, Yes, the little neutral zone infraction penalty that turned it from a three-point drive into a seven-point drive was definitely an unpatriot-like penalty to take. But uh, for the most part, it felt like Lamar Jackson was really, really able to find every little hole, every little weakness in the matchups in this great Patriots defense. And it was a great game plan offense by Baltimore. So uh, for the most part, I just give Baltimore credit and say that hopefully the Patriots will be able to put together a more complete approach if they do see this team again in the playoffs. I think what's really interesting about Baltimore was that they built a game plan very specifically to attack this Patriots defense. And they did that by keeping three tight ends on the field almost the entire game. And by doing basically everything out of those packages. So you had tight ends who don't aren't normally out there catching a lot of balls, running routes on every play. And what that did was it forced the Patriots to go into bigger personnel packages, get those linebackers on the fields, guys like a Landon Roberts, put Dante Hightower in coverage. Yep. And when that happens, the strength of this defense, which is the secondary, kind of gets mitigated a little bit because, you know, the Ravens don't have any game-breaking wide receivers. Hollywood Brown was pretty quiet. He's a rookie anyway. Right, they don't. I mean, they have uh, Mark Ingram, who is a pretty beastly running back as well, and so you got to respect him. And so Shelton and Lawrence Guy were in the game a lot, and those guys, they're great at clogging up the middle, but they can't do anything against a mobile quarterback like Lamar Jackson. He, he can be just as comfortable outside the pocket once he's flushed to the edge as anywhere else on the field. So it did not seem like the Patriots' defense was able to fluster Jackson at pretty much any point during the game. I think it's a good strategy, too, as as an offense playing against the Patriots to try to maximize your athletic talents because there are holes in athleticism in the Patriots' defense, especially in that linebacking core, yeah. Sands, Jamie yeah, Collins. Um, and, you know, our safety personnel is deep, but we don't have the kind of safeties that you can line up in the box. Uh, so if especially you go small Trump, right? to Trump. cover those tight ends, then you're getting bullied in the running game. And if you go big, not only are you struggling to cover these tight ends, but Lamar Jackson in space against linebackers versus like six D backs is going to be a nightmare for you. He was he was unbelievable. Yep. He had a couple plays where yep. he looked like he was about to get 
slaughtered and then tiptoe danced his way out of it to gain yards. It was, he's really impressive. He's the best running quarterback I've seen since Michael Vick, easily. Yeah, it looks like he's using the juke stick out there on playing a video game at times, the way that his pocket presence is much different than Tom Brady's in how they're both able to avoid the rush. Um, Lamar Jackson just slips defenders very, very effortlessly, it looks like. So that, I was very impressed by that. The Patriots did try to mix it up, you know, even though they were uh, going big and then realizing they're a little bit too slow to keep up with these tight ends and with Lamar Jackson, then they would try going small for parts of the game as well. And they ended up using, I think, 23 different defensive personnel during the game, and they just could not find an answer. Uh, but they had everybody active. Pat Chung is probably not 100% healthy right now. Um, and so I'd be curious to see if he makes a bigger difference covering the tight ends, for example, um, if they do see that matchup again. But the Patriots, of course, in all their interviews are just saying, well, they're not on our schedule right now. And so we're just planning for the rest of the seven games left in the season. They would not even entertain the possibility of a of playoff rematch. But it's one thing I would look forward to. And I think a lot of fans would hope to see that again. Yeah, this game went about as perfectly for the Ravens as it possibly could. They they dictated the game the entire time. The Patriots got behind in the game script and were never really able to recover. And then they just routinely got breaks. There were a couple of third downs that were stops that were negated by penalties. Um, the Edelman fumble is such an uncharacteristic play yeah. for Julian Edelman. Uh, it was a really great strip, but it also was pretty lucky. Um, just overall, I thought that luck was very clearly on the Ravens' side in that game. And I think what I honestly think the Patriots should have won that game. And they made three or four mistakes that sealed the game. Um, like, I'm not sure why we didn't try to go for a touchdown when we were on the goal line with 10 seconds left. That's um, one thing I wanted to talk about is the play calling decision there. Fourth down on the one yard line. And, uh, you know, you're, you're coming up to the end of the first half. Right, you have a chance to tie the game. It's 17-10 Baltimore at that point. And yeah, it's fourth down. You know, you don't have your fullback, you don't have your your strongest offensive line for like a goal line package right now, uh, as, term, as far as personnel goes, but it did seem like a little bit of a, of a wimpy play call and uh, you know, they went for the field goal, which they have a new kicker. He made it to his credit, but 17-13 is a lot different than 17-17. And uh, I was definitely disappointed by Belichick not going for it there. They showed some of the stats of, like, you know, what's the percentage odds to win the game based on your play call. And it seemed like you're not really tipping the odds in your favor by going for a field goal here on the one-yard line. So I, I understand that you want to take the points there. But my hope, I guess, is that part of the reason that they're not going for some of these more aggressive play calls is that they're saving some of the playbook for the playoffs. Um so, so I guess that's my hope. Um, we did see a flea flicker, which was kind of fun. Um, but we know that's barely even a trick play for the Patriots. They work in those flea flickers seemingly every, every few weeks. Um, so one thing that really struck me was that they did not shift around the personnel very much at all. They, in fact, not really at all. I think Dorsett took off one play to catch a breather after getting hammered uh, close to the line on what probably should have been a... Uh, uh, unsportsmanlike conduct or de- hitting a defenseless receiver penalty, but it's not going to be reviewed by the league. And uh, the, otherwise, they're in that 11 personnel with Mohamed Sanu, Benjamin Watson, and all the other usual characters the entire game. 
which I was a little bit surprised by, especially when you get into that goal line look. I would have loved to see that jumbo package come in, maybe even with Ferentz, you know, as the lead blocking fullback again, as we saw him successfully do a couple of weeks ago. I agree with everything you just said, and I, I also think it's obvious that we we've talked about this a lot throughout our game reviews. But what we call the Patriots break in case break glass in case of emergency offense, yeah. where it's like, okay, this is when we need to score, and if we don't score, our season's over, um, and that almost always works. And we haven't even seen any shreds of that yet. I think there's a lot of really interesting different things they could do, especially with both Sony Michelle and James White. Um, and it seemed like this offensive game plan was really like get Muhammad Sanu involved. Yeah, get him um, and that comfortable was with the offense. Very clearly a major focus of this game, which I liked. Sure. Uh, because I think he is exactly what the Pats are going to need moving forward from an offensive perspective. Um, so, with that in mind, should we transition into sort of our little uh, our segments for the week? Sure, yeah. Um, standout player standout of the game. player of the game. I think we have the same one. It's got to be Muhammad Sanu. It's Muhammad Sanu. Sanu. Yeah. Um, becomes the 76th player to catch a touchdown from Tom Brady, thus breaking his own record once again. Yep, 74 um, if you're just counting regular season. Um, he definitely was a focal point of the offense. A lot of targets. Caught pretty much all of them. Made a couple of nice athletic plays. Um, it was all this up-tempo, hurry-up offense pretty much the entire time. And we know the Patriots offense is definitely pretty complex as far as wide receivers and their their routes that they're expected to read um, with all the different options based on how the defense is giving them a look. So it seemed like Brady was fairly happy with how Mohamed Sanu showed out. And they had a miscommunication maybe once or twice on, I think, 12 targets. So pretty good percentage-wise there. The only problem I see with it is if Brady's going to be you know, going to this bell cow and relying on him too much, it becomes a bit of a predictable offense. It seemed like it's going to go to Edelman or Sanu every single time. That that was at least my read on it. Dorsett didn't really get involved. James White could have been involved more. Um, Benjamin Watson is like an afterthought in this offense. So I just don't want TB12 to be telegraphing it to his two veteran receivers. I agree, and I think the James White stuff is interesting. We just haven't seen him as much this year. Um, he hasn't been uh, like a dynamic threat in the passing game the same way he has been the last two years. Yep. And I think a lot of that has to do with them trying to get Sony and Michelle comfortable. Mm-hmm. And I also think a lot of it is, again, saving stuff for, for the future because ultimately... You know, James White's going to be a crucial weapon for Tom Brady. And if we can kind of make people forget about him a little bit, that might help us. Yeah. Um, especially as we're trying to dictate packages. Like, they're doing a lot of putting James White in and running the ball. And they're doing a lot of play action and passing with Sony Michelle. And it's very clear that they're trying to show uh, different tendencies than they showed last year to make themselves more unpredictable. Right. And I think that's part of what's led to the lack of reliance on James White. Uh, but he was, I mean, you know, he's he was the, our leading receiver the last two years in terms of catches. So we've got a guy who very much is a crucial part of this offense and who I expect to step up down the stretch of the season because, you know, that's what players do really generally uh, in the last 20 years. That, that's been football. the trend, right? Yeah. <laughs> that's been the trend. And uh, with that, you know, we have our trend watch segment. So we're on a bye right now, which is a good sign. The Ravens have their bye before this game and the Patriots have their bye now. Um, Patriots have been pretty successful following a bye since uh, 2003. They're 44 and 8 in regular season games. 
TB12 all time is 46 and 12 following a loss. And uh, the Patriots, after a bye, are just completely dominant. They have the most buys, of course, in the league in the past two decades. Playoff buys. Oh, yeah, get a lot of those first round playoff buys. But this one, obviously, is not a playoff buy. So they're just gearing up for Philadelphia and, uh, you know, watching their health, getting healthy. The trends on local sports media, uh, you know, are is that break glass in case of emergency offense going to come from one of the unsigned receiving options like Rob Gronkowski, Antonio Brown, or Des Bryant? Do you think any of those guys could be an answer for the Patriots' offensive struggles? I've been watching the Antonio Brown situation because I think it's interesting. I think it's probably not possible to bring him back at this point. I'm not really sure what the the cap rules are. I think he'd probably come back and play for the Patriots if they made a call. Mm -hmm. It seems like the NFL is really taking its sweet time. Um, And i got to be honest, as much as I think Antonio Brown is not a good human, it does suck to see the NFL basically force him to be unable to play football and the way that they handle these types of situations and that teams don't know what's going on and the NFL doesn't communicate with them. So, you know, he can't get a job. And also maybe he shouldn't have been a piece of shit in the first place. But I don't think anyone else is coming. Um, I think Nikhil Harry's coming. We didn't see him on Sunday. Both of us predicted that we would. Um, I thought it was interesting that we didn't see him. I think that has to do a lot more with Mohamed Sanu. And they're trying to get him comfortable, and then next week we'll work Harry in. Yep. But it it seems like we're almost taking like a weird preseason break in the middle of this season to get these guys acclimated into the offense. And against a team like the Ravens, it's going to make us pay. Against some of the other teams, like in the Browns game, it didn't really matter. Um, it also might have to do with that up-tempo uh, offense plan. Like a veteran receiver like Sanu is more likely to pick right. up quickly on all the changes at the line, all of the option routes, than a rookie receiver who might be kind of thrown into the fire there. Um, part of Belichick's explaining away the uh, non-activation of uh, Harry, who was on the 53-man but not the 46 for the uh, game, was basically that they needed an extra defensive personnel for the game. and. You know, they brought a bunch of defensive guys to the game, and um, they they just weren't able to make it happen on defense. So, yeah, I would love to see Harry for this Philadelphia Eagles game next weekend. And if he does not play in that game and is, again, one of the seven inactives, I think that would be a bad sign for Harry's development. Agreed. Um, and for Belgium's confident in, confidence in this game. Totally agree. And I, for what it's worth, the Eagles have a, a piss-poor secondary, and so I think it's a pretty good week to go spread them out and play a lot of four-wide uh, and really, like, Toss the toss the pigskin around. Yeah, get Myers involved again. Yeah, and I'd I'd love to see Nikhil Harry. He's such a dynamic athlete with the ball in his hands that I gotta think there's that they're planning to bring him out at some point. And maybe again, maybe it is that that emergency offense that we're talking about. Like we aren't at practice. Harry has, by all accounts, looked great at practice when he's been available. Sure. Although a lot of the time they've been. Uh, how he's been on the field during the non-media availability Oh, yeah, sessions. they're hiding him. They're hiding um, him. Something's going on there. But I, that could be a good thing or a bad it thing. It could be a good thing, yeah. Um, and I, I think, ultimately, it's probably to protect him from the kind of ridiculous hype that Boston Media places on people and, and shield him from that pressure a little bit. Yeah, I hope you're right. Um, but I and a, another place, um, just to sort of to move forward here... Um, 
that I think he could really help is in the red, red zone offense. Right. Um, because the red zone offense has not looked good. Yeah, that's our nitpick, right? Um, yeah, that, I mean, that's definitely the nitpick. Other than not having a great defensive game plan, um, that's like something that happens in the course of a regular season game. Sometimes you just get out-schemed. Yep. Ravens coming off a of bye week, that happens. But the red zone offense, like, really, really need to fix this. Um, we can't be relying on luck and penalties no. to score points. Or the defense scoring points for us. You know, right, your, yeah. Your defense isn't going to score for you every single week, even if you do have a great defense. So, you know, easy to nitpick in a loss. And, uh, yeah, the Reds on offense looked downright pedestrian. So, I do think one thing that's nice is that uh, both Sanu and Harry give you a jump ball receiver, which they haven't had. We had a lot. We scored a lot of touchdowns by just throwing fades to Gronk. Um, or Moss before that. Yeah, or Randy Moss before that. Um, or, you know, like David Patton, uh, yep. David Givens before that. Um, so I think that's something that's really missing from this offense is someone who you can throw the ball up to and they'll make a contested catch. Like Edelman will, but he's tiny. Yeah, Malcolm um, Mitchell used to be good at high yeah. playing the ball, but obviously it, his career was hampered by injuries constantly. So I think that's where Harry and Sanu are going to be really clutch. And I think Sanu is really kind of the perfect wide receiver to fit into this wide receiving core. I think he can do a lot of what Josh Gordon did, but he's a little bit more of a dynamic route runner than Gordon is. And as much as I love Josh Gordon, and I think he's actually a great fit in Seattle, he wasn't quite right in our offense this year. And I think that was really clear, um, despite the hype and despite the hope. Might have been a work ethic issue as well, although that, that'll never be officially confirmed. Uh, you know, I don't know if it's as much a work ethic issue as it is. It could be a, a lot of various mental factors that lead to him not producing where he needs to be. And what I hope most is that Josh Gordon finds peace as a human, and it would be great if he also finds success in the football field. But yeah. for the purposes of this season, I'd rather have Nikhil Harry and Mohamed Sanu than Josh Gordon, I think. And that sweet, sweet $1 million cap space. So uh, our next segment, what record did Tom Brady set this week? Even in a loss, TB12 continues to shatter records. And this week, Tom Brady has finally eclipsed Steve Grogan and Drew Bledsoe as the all-time losingest quarterback <laughs> in New England Patriots franchise history. Bledsoe was 63-60 and 60 in his career as a starting quarterback in New England. Grogan was 75-60. and 60. And... Uh, TB12 is now 215 and 61 more losses than any other QB of any Patriots. So, <laughs> congratulations, Tom Brady. Another record well earned. It's really unbelievable that, that he's 215 and 61. That's crazy. Yeah. A, that's, wow. That really puts the last 20 years into perspective, I think. <laughs> he has more than three times the number of wins as Bledsoe, and just about three times as many wins as Grogan. The Grugs. All right, well, that was, that's a fun record. Uh, let's move on to notable storylines. Falcons signed in, ex- signed, signed in, nice. Yep. Left-footed punter Ryan Allen, formerly of the Patriots. Um, good to see that. I hope you can make an impact for them, even though they're one of the worst teams in the league. Terrible season for the Falcons uh, this year. Gunnar Olszewski and Damian Harris attended the Alabama-LSU game. Yep, Gunnar's first Division One football game that he's ever gone to. Pretty good game. I, I actually didn't see it, but uh, LSU pulled it out. So Joe Burrow's baby surprising. Um, they, so they're they're having a little rookie uh, bromance, Gunner and Damian. 
Christian Farrier is also about to host a 25-hour Radiothon fundraiser to raise diabetes awareness starting this Wednesday afternoon. He's going to have a few callers, including Tom Brady and Larry Bird, um, on his 25-hour straight radio wow. segment. Those are some names. So good luck, Christian Fourier, and uh, definitely a good cause. And yeah, he's going to have a lot of people calling in, even at the early hours, to keep him awake. <laughs> um, so I'll definitely tune into that and check it out. I like Fourier's takes. Victim of the dynasty this week? I think it's got to be the 2019 draft class. Uh, not only was Nikhil Harry inactive for this game on Sunday against the Ravens, but also Damian Harris and Joe Juan Williams getting another DNP coach's decision. So that's a tough trend uh, for all these rookies. They're, they're getting that Patriots red shirt freshman treatment. And I know the rookies, you know, they're working hard. They're, they really want to earn their way onto the field. The only real guy that's getting significant playing time as far as rookies go is your boy, Chase Winovich. Yeah, I mean, Chase is, is playing well. And I think this is just what happens when you get drafted onto the defending Super Bowl champs. You know, they have one of the deepest teams in the league. Harry, obviously, it's injury-related. Damian Harris, I think he's, he's looked pretty good in what he's done. But we have a lot of running backs. Very little. You know, we just don't. And, and same with Jawan Williams. Like I think Jawan Williams is a, a really good player, mm-hmm. and I think there's a reason why he's being carried on the 53-man roster. Yeah. Um, but you know, I don't know if he's going to be better than J.C. Jackson or Jonathan Jones or Patrick Child. He's not. So what are you going to do? We have like eight really good d- defensive backs, and he's number nine. Right. <laughs> yep. I, I would expect to see him here and there, and probably contributing a bit on special teams. Um, and, and funny enough, one thing we didn't mention about Sanu is. Speaking of special teams, he took Gunner's role as the punt returner there on Sunday night. Um, so that was definitely a surprise to me to see Mohamed Sanu back there returning punts for the Patriots. Yeah, I think that's more... He, he's a, a pretty decent punt returner. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think he's definitely got sure more experienced hands than Gunner, who is kind of just learning how to be a punt returner. Uh, Already had so a I'm totally fine with Sanu back there. I'd rather have Sanu back there than Edelman back there. Yeah. I'd rather kind of not have either of them and maybe have a guy who is more of a special teams guy so that he's not putting his body out there in uh, such a dangerous position as a punt returner. But yeah, That's kind of the idea behind Gunner. But. He looked good, though. He did look good on the few punt returns that he was able to return. Players to watch this week, next week? Well, it's, it's a bye week. So, I mean, I guess we can look forward to the uh, Philadelphia Eagles. But this week... One thing I really enjoy is the double coverage with the McCordy Twins podcast, so I've been watching that. Nice, nice. came out with another episode. Uh, if you're scared, get a dog, they said. If you're even more scared, go to church. Wise words for the McCordy Twins. Yeah. And we're on to Philadelphia, so let's just, you know, it's uh, obviously it's Sunday, so we've got a full week, yep. so you can kind of let this marinate. We yep. don't have any of the news coming out of this week. Um, we don't know what the injury report's going to look like. Yep. Um, Deshaun Jackson is on IR, so that's sort of the one big note is that right. he's done. Um, so we don't have to worry about Deshaun Jackson. It's the one piece of news that we will know. Other than that, moving forward, you know, at least we don't have to play Nick Foles is what I would say. Thank God. Carson Wentz is uh, a step down, I would say. Yeah, definitely not Big Dick Nick. Uh, and <laughs> they've been really up and down this season, so we're going to get – you know, we're getting desperate Philadelphia here, and I think this is going to be a good game. Mm-hmm. Um, it's hard to really predict it this far ahead. I'd like to see what they do this week, and who knows what can happen because we're talking before the Eagles game um, in Week 9. Eagles need the or win. Or Week 10. What week is yeah. it? 
Yeah, it's uh, week, 10. week 10 right now, and the Patriots will play the Eagles in week 11. And then after that, um, looking at even more ahead, then you're going to have the Patriots uh, playing the Cowboys. And that is going to be when Isaiah Wynn is eligible to return. Good, because someone's got to block DeMarcus Lawrence. Yep. <laughs> Um, and in just another quick news note, uh, Stephen Gostowski had his hip surgery. Yep. Um, the same surgery that Nick Folk had, yep. torn hip labrum, uh, and uh, Isaiah Thomas. <laughs> yep. Folk said uh, as he worked back, it's only like a five-month recovery time, but he said the toughest part was getting his timing back. And so Gostowski is going to look to lean, not physically, but um, you know through the that words of the wise uh, recovery track on Nick Folk a little bit. Nick Folk... Actually had an easy time integrating into this Patriots team because he was already friends with Gostowski as well as Joe Tooney and Ted Karras. They all took an MBA class together recently. Oh, well, I think Steven's going to need to work, uh, lean on the good graces of Bill Belichick to even have a roster spot, but we'll see. Yep, you're probably right. Swag alert. Swag alert. The boogeyman swag. It's still coming. Uh, even after Sunday night, the Patriots linebacker core is making sure that their nickname stays tight. I like it. I still think they're the boogeyman. We're still the best defense in the league. Is it so, a little bit of a bad look to be pushing your, your swag, your boogeyman defense swag after you get shredded for 30 points? No, nah, I get money, get paid. Well, here's, here's, <laughs> another, here's another question that I heard some fans get upset about. Is it a bad look for not only the captains on the defense to be liking this, this boogeyman swag and Tom Brady to be liking it on social media, but also for Gerard Mayo to be liking these posts after that type of an embarrassing loss? Oh, yeah, who cares? It's all fun, right? Yeah, I think so, too. It's really also, you got to excuse some of that loss because uh, they played probably the best, one of the best offenses in the game, right? Yeah, and I think the Patriots clearly did not play their A game, and no. I think it was a lot closer than the score. Like, the swing of that fumble recovery, yeah. because the Patriots were finally moving the ball, and I think we're probably going to score points on that drive. Um, to take the lead. Right, so that was really, that was like a 14 points, a potential 14 point swing right there. That, that was the whole game, and mm-hmm. fans just get so tight about this shit. Like, relax. One game is the regular season. They're, let yeah. them have fun. Yeah, I'm with you. They're humans. Should we move on to another team at the top of their league? Let's do it. Quick Bruins notes. Bruins are playing lights out. Last we talked, the uh, Bruins were riding their first line, which is really carrying all their scoring. No news is good news, I guess, but they're still following that same trend. It's it's really just that first line. Pasternak, Marchand, and uh, Bergeron, who can put any scoring on the board. They just had a very surprising kind of embarrassing loss to the last-ranked team in the East, the Detroit Red Wings. But otherwise, it hasn't really been too many bumps in the road. They also had a a tough loss to the Canadiens in regulation, but they only have three losses on the season. Two of them were basically on the backs of this terrible offsides review and a coach's challenge that wiped goals off the board. And talk about a momentum killer. Would have been nice to have that kind of refereeing in the Stanley Cup, huh? I mean, they really have to figure out these offsides challenges and the call reversals. It's so dumb. It's a really bad rule right now in the NHL. It's really not fun to watch referees looking under the hood for like five minutes to decide a a call, whether a guy had possession while he was crossing the blue line three minutes before the shot actually happens to the goal. Um, So really unfortunate. But um, we're at the top of the league. Rask and Halak are both still playing pretty well. 
uh, for the most part, guys are healthy. Krejci looks good, returned to form. And the Bruins just, in, in swag alert news, just released their alternate jerseys for this year. Another black and yellow, uh, really nice, pretty simple uh, look that's a, a really sweet looking throwback, if you ask me. So I'm, I'm pretty stoked the about throwback. these. Uh, yeah, that big, bold B. I, I like that, that alternate for this year. So um, a few elements from the Winter Classic last year and... I'm all in favor of it. I thought it was going to be uh, brown and yellow at first, but I like the black and yellow better. Yeah, it looks cool. And, you know, I think with the Bruins, we're kind of, they're playing right where we expect them to play, right? Yep. Like last year, they were the best team in the East. Uh, Tuca and Halak locked it down for the whole season. Mm-hmm. The first line was probably the best line in hockey. And that's exactly what's happening this year. I think the good news here is they're healthy right now. Um, mostly, let's hope that they can stay healthy. Yep. And as long as that happens, I think this is a team that's looking at a potential deep playoff run again. Like, it's kind of less interesting to talk about them, I guess, because they're just dominating. Um, and yeah, but they have some depth moving up the, yeah, the chart. Uh, Zach Senishin looked pretty good in his first couple minutes, uh, first couple games that he's played at the NHL level, and uh, the penalty kill is starting to improve. The um, Krug and Pasternak still have that beautiful connection and a couple of these set plays that are really, really entertaining to watch. So, yeah, all good trends, and uh, the rest of the league is starting to take note as well. That killer line of 88, 37, and 63, uh, the other teams in the league are starting to kind of mimic that, and rather than spreading all of their good playmakers and scorers across lines, are really stacking their top lines as well. So it's interesting to see some of the scoring spikes are really being uh, held by the top lines now, not just in the Bruins. Um, so maybe it's not as a concerning trend that we rely so much on our top line because all the other teams seem to be doing that now too. And I do think the one thing to watch moving forward is those those aforementioned young guys. Like how are they? Mm-hmm. How can they come in and soak up ice time from some of the guys we lost in the offseason? Obviously, we're not we didn't lose any like major players, but really solid role players. And we've got some some depth questions, I think, going forward. Yeah. Especially as people start to get uh, bruised up and miss a couple games, you know, like hopefully they stay healthy, but players are going to miss games. Like, right. It happens. You want them to miss games. You want them to rest. So how can the young guys, a lot of like pretty highly drafted, highly touted young guys, right. whose time it is to start filling up those fourth and third lines, and we're going to have to see how that happens. Yeah, the third line is a big question mark. All the forwards on the third line. Other than, I guess, uh, the guy in the middle there, Charlie Coyle, has been pretty consistent. The only problem with him is he keeps hitting posts, and uh, gotta, the puck's got to find the back of the net. But otherwise, you know, the Bruins, you can't really complain. I'm not even going to... I'm not even going to have a nitpick for them today. Just say, keep on keeping on. Yeah. Right? So they're at the top of the NHL, and guess who's at the top of the NBA? Just like everyone predicted, the Celtics have only one loss on the season. They cleaned up against the San Antonio Spurs last night in a pretty commanding victory. Yeah, seven straight wins for the Celtics. It was in San Antonio at the end of a road trip, and now Brad Stevens is happy to say he has won in every NBA arena. Great news for Brad. Um, yeah, so they got a commanding win in a place that they usually get smoked, San Antonio. Um, I think part of it is now the mystique has worn off since four of our players were coached by him during uh, the summer. There were a lot of great pictures of them hanging out with Pop last night. It's pretty clear that they yep. developed a, a little bit of a bond. 
with Pop and that Pop really enjoyed coaching those guys. So I thought that was really cool to see because he's someone who I admire on like a Bill Belichick level. Oh, yeah. Um, One of the so, greatest coaches. Probably the yeah. greatest coach currently coaching in the NBA. It's like any time Bill Belichick takes interest in an opposing team's player, I find that fascinating. So this is kind of like the opposite of that. It's like the inverse for me. It's like how I would feel if like I was a fan of Ed Reed as a Ravens fan and Belichick loved because he Belichick loves Ed Reed. <laughs> um, as does Tom Brady. As does Tom, I mean, everyone loves Ed Reed. He's the man. <laughs> but uh, yeah, Gordon Hayward has started to play really well lately. He's been carrying the team. He had an incredible shooting performance recently that set a, quite a few records. 16 out of 16 on two-pointers. I wrote down a bunch of all these different records that haven't been touched since the 70s. We don't have to walk through all of them. But uh, Hayward has just been starting the season on fire. And so he's obviously a big part of how high the Celtics season uh, ceiling can be this year. And it's his last year before his, uh, his potential opt-in for $32 million. So some people are keeping an eye on that, whether or not he would potentially opt out of $32 million guaranteed for next season. It is actually a potential possibility if he keeps up this level of play. But he's going to be hampered now by a fractured hand. It's his left hand, but it could keep him out possibly as long as about three months. So it would be nice to see Hayward again, you know, before the end of the calendar year or at least before the All-Star break. But unfortunately, it's going to be another season of recovery for him um, with that left-hand break. It's just so frustrating for for Gordon and uh, for Celtics, I think, because he really was looking like one, you know, he was back to sort of an all-NBA level. Yep. And I think... The Celtics' ceiling really hinges on Gordon Hayward being Gordon Hayward. The good news is it's a left-hand injury. You know, a broken hand is not that big a deal. This isn't something that's going to require a huge, you know, boost in mental confidence. Like, you're not exploding off of your left hand. It mostly guides your shot. And so there could be some issues with his three-point shot, which I think is the main thing to worry about. But physically, he's going to be fine. He'll be able to keep practicing, most likely, after a week or two. I... Is he getting the surgery? Do you did you see that news this morning? We're Not kind sure. of we're kind of waiting to see if he needs surgery on it. Um, without surgery, we're probably looking at like two to six weeks with surgery. We're looking at that longer four to twelve week timetable. Um, and the problem with getting surgery is that he would be unable to return to basketball activities uh, as soon as he'd like. Like he can start doing one handed shooting. He would be running. Yeah, dribble with leads. his right hand only. Um, he can be doing drills and stuff. Uh, with a broken hand if it's not bad. So obviously that happened last night. We're still waiting on some news for that, which will probably come out in the next two or three days. Yep. Uh, but either way, we're going to be without him for a while. And it might not be the worst thing for the Celtics. One of the really nice things about their roster construction is they are a little bit redundant or at least deep at the wing position. So with Gordon Hayward being out, it, it kind of just means that Tatum, Brown, and the rest of our wings can get that much more uh, minutes, that much more opportunity. And uh, Brown just came back from an illness. So he's starting to look like the JB who we just paid to retain for the long term this offseason. And he has been attacking the rack and shooting the three with good efficiency. Um, so I'm not too worried about the Celtics maintaining their good play. You know, they might not maintain the seven-game win streak pace, um, seven out of their first eight games. But they're playing well, and I'm not too worried about Gordon Hayward missing out. But one thing I'd love to get your take on, Zach, is 
What do you think the chances are that Gordon Hayward declines his $32 million player option this offseason to go into free agency? You think that's a possibility with this uh, pretty pretty lackluster free agent market on this upcoming offseason? I think it's probably pretty low. I think Gordon Hayward will probably stay in Boston. Um, it's hard to say because... You know, he's right on the cusp of the age of, of needing one more contract. Yep. I think it really depends how the end of this year goes for him. If he's looking at another four-year max, I think there's a chance the Celtics could even extend him. Right. Um, like, add a couple years onto that. Um, pick up that option and extend him for another two years. Because he's going to be a really important player for the Celtics moving forward. He can do everything. He's going to age well because his game, while he's an incredible athlete, his game's not predicated on athleticism. That 16 for 16 that he shot from twos, almost all of those were pull-up jumpers, yeah. which is pretty crazy. I mean, he had, a, he had a bunch of nice, easy layups too, but he, you know, yeah. he's, his best move is that little get-into-the-paint, turn-around, five-foot jumper, um, and he's so good at creating space with it and so good at just getting to that spot. That that's not something that I think is ever really going to go away. I think the ability to create space, and I think it's why mid-range shooting is kind of an underrated skill in today's NBA. Oh yeah, because um, he, you know, he's going to have that, and he's such a good passer. He's just a smart basketball player. I think the Celtics are going to want to retain him again. It's a weak free agent class, so like, and if you're the Celtics now that you have Kemba, you're pro- and you're about to sign Jason Tatum, you're going to be capped out. And so your options to keep players or and to get talent are really limited. And so keeping a guy like Gordon Hayward locked up long term is going to be a priority for them, I think, moving forward. Because otherwise, yeah. you're looking at basically trying to have him to trade for someone at that kind of salary level because you won't have the mechan- the cap mechanics to sign someone like a free agent outright. Yeah, as a normal person, it's just kind of impossible to imagine declining thirty two million dollars guaranteed over one year, right? Like. That's a lot of money. I know that it is a weak free agent class, and it's possible that some other team might give him a max contract that would be worth significantly more than $32 million per year. But I can just not imagine, you know, you break your leg as gruesomely as Gordon Hayward did in the not-too-distant past, and uh, then you go ahead and decline the $32 million to, to try to get more money. That, that would be quite betting on yourself, but... Um, I, I guess I wouldn't be all that surprised. I'm really curious to see how the rest of the season goes. I was really encouraged to see Gordon Hayward absolutely lighting it up in Cleveland, the same uh, stadium that he did do that to his leg. And uh, that was the, that historic game where he scored 39 points on epic 85-plus percent shooting. Um, so very uh, very fun start for the Celtics. The Red Claws season begun last night as well. We were able to see some... Really nice performances by Romeo Langford, Tremont Waters, and Taco Fall. Awesome highlight reels produced both from that Spurs game and from the Red Claws' resounding blowout win to start their season. So that'll be fun to watch Crustacean Nation. It seems like we got a pretty good squad up there in Portland as well. Yeah, and I think that, you know, G League basketball is pretty meaningless. And the one thing that you want to see from your rookies is that they look like they're in a different class than everyone else on the court, and I thought that was true, just watching some of the game film and, and highlights. Langford especially, yeah. um, he was dominant, taking it to the rim. He had six blocks, um, which As is... As did Robert Williams on the same night at the NBA level. Which is, yeah, except, you know, Langford 6'4", and he had a couple, right. like, really nice weak side blocks where he recognized someone getting beat. 
came over and helped and got us stuff at the rim. Yep. And stuff like that is really is what you're looking for in a G League game. Like Langford's making the right plays. He looks smart. He had some really nice passes. He's smooth too, man. When he has the ball, he is super smooth. He he had a couple coast to coast plays where he just took the ball and went. And he's he's not like he's not going to light the world on fire with speed. But I think smooth is exactly the way to put it. I could see him being a really good NBA player. Obviously, we're a long way from that, but he needs to be able to shoot consistently. But the way that he gets to the rim without necessarily relying on a crazy first step is. It's, I mean, it's kind of similar to what we were just talking about with Gordon Hayward. I was about to say the same thing. <laughs> or like with Paul Pierce back in the day yeah. where they're, they're able to do this stop-and-go motion, kind of a herky-jerky, um, feeling out the defense, and they just kind of pick and prod their way and me- almost meander to their spot. And for Paul Pierce, you know, that was right at the elbow at 12 to 15 feet. For Gordon Hayward, it's... It's pretty close to that, but just a little bit closer. And then uh, for Romeo Langford, he did look like one of the best guys on the court. So it's like a a grown man playing against boys there, at least last night in Maine. And I'm hoping to see some Red Claws games maybe go up to Portland uh, this season because it's fun with Langford. Tremont Waters can shoot the lights out and Taco Fall. Obviously, everyone loves Taco Time. So (laughs) I I think it would be fun to go up and watch some Crustacean Nation this season. Yeah, and I'm, I'm wondering, I think one of the interesting things to see is in the wake of this Hayward injury, how are they going to respond? Um, what do you think, David, in terms of adjustments to the rotation that we could make to cover up this gap with one of our key playmakers? Well, it's possible that you might see Langford get called up if the team deems that he's ready uh, to fill that kind of depth spot on the rotation. But I think more likely you're going to see uh, the starting rotation be, um, you know, same, basically the same with Jalen Brown, obviously soaking up a lot of those minutes. And then uh, you're going to see Shemi Ojale probably be the next man up off the bench. I would expect just to see kind of an uptick in Shemi's minutes um, as the main result of this and, and probably an uptick in Carson Edwards' minutes as well as that kind of uh, sh- scoring fire off the bench to replace Gordon Hayward's scoring production. I think a very interesting thing to watch, both because of this injury and over the course of the season, is Romeo Langford hunting for Brad Wanamaker's minutes. Mm. Um, I really like Wanamaker um, in terms of being, you know, a competent professional backup point guard. Yeah, he's, he's a, a dogged defender. He, he doesn't do anything like extremely well, but he does everything well enough to contribute and to be a plus player on the floor. Um, and and. Yeah, I mean, he fills into his role while he knows the the team's scheme and the, the, he, he seems to buy into Brad Stevens' system. So I don't really have any complaints about Brad Wanamaker, but he's not setting the world on fire either. And I think in the playoffs, if you can have a little more shake out of that second unit, right now the Celtics have the lowest scoring bench in the NBA. Right. Uh, and they have the third highest scoring starting lineup in the NBA. So their bench is not putting up points. And a lot of what Stevens is doing is keeping two starters on the floor at all times. Yep. Um, basically keeping two of Kemba, Jalen, Jason, and Gordon on the floor always. Right. And it's a really great strategy, especially because Jason and Jalen have picked up this incredible two-man game chemistry that's really fun to watch. And Kemba and Gordon Hayward play really well together too. So those have been some really fun stagger minutes. Jason Tatum is 
looking absolutely spectacular this season. Uh, but I do want to see a little bit more out of the bench. And I think it, some of it will be Carson finding his spot, starting to hit shots. I mean, obviously saw it in preseason. And then I really do wonder if Romeo can come in and be a little bit more of a scoring threat. I think he could play alongside Brad Wanamaker as long as his shot is falling. And that's really the question. It looked good last night. But I want to see moving forward, can he hit open threes? Because if he can, I think he has a spot on this team. Yep. You know, one guy who, who's not going to be hitting those open threes, but who has really impressed me this season is Javante Green. And I think he's going to get a lot of those minutes as well. He and Shemi are probably going to be kind of battling for those leftover minutes um, if Romeo Langford doesn't get the call, which I don't think he will. I think it's kind of a little too early for him coming back from an injury and just starting the season in Maine is probably what the Celtics see as his, his near-term future role. Javante Green, he's a slasher. Everyone knows he wants to go to the rack, but he's really impressed me with his hard-nosed defense, good uh, feel for picking his his times and his lanes for when to cut, when to drive. And then he's got a pretty nice passing game as well. He's been able to find Time Lord on a couple of alley-oops that are just pretty incredible highlight-producing plays. And I must say, you know, that, that we haven't talked about the five position yet. Um, Enos Cantor has been out for the entire season, and Time Lord and Daniel Tice have really impressed Still so good. far. They, they look, look really good. They're like leading the league in blocks. Yeah. Both of them are producing absurd block percentages right now. And so that's that interior, you know, paint presence. Paint, uh, you know, grant, granted, neither one of those guys is really going to be able to stop like a Joel Embiid or an Andre Drummond from backing them down if they get the ball down low. But they have been blocking up a storm, and that's been a blast to watch. It has been, and uh, Tice has looked awesome. I think it goes yep. back to he's, he's playing at that level that he was playing at before his meniscus injury two seasons ago. It right. took him out for the playoffs. And I think it goes back to just saying, you know, injuries can linger. And he did that at the end of the season. He was probably just finishing up, you know, his real, like, physical therapy regimen by the time that last season started and probably wasn't in shape for the whole year. That's why he didn't look as good. Right. And now he's playing really well. He's clearly understanding the NBA game and NBA defense a lot better because it is very different from international the international game. The paint's a different size. Um the arc is a different size. So it's right. it's a very different sport at the international level. And so you're seeing him be in the right place a lot of the time. And a lot of these blocks are really smart help plays um, where people are attacking the paint because they think that we don't have a lot of uh, rim protection. But what we actually have is rim protection. What we're missing is like that big physical defender. I think what's really a shame is that the player that this team needs the most is Aaron Baines. And we had to trade Aaron Baines to get Kemba Walker, which, you know, I think you do that trade every time. And now Baines is having a breakout season. He looks like the best guy who's going to potentially carry the Suns to the playoffs. Who would have guessed, right? <laughs> and I think we'll see. He isn't, he's always injured. Right. Uh, he misses time constantly, and he's tended to break down over the course of the seasons, which is a result of his play style. I don't know. The Suns are playing him a lot more minutes. I don't know if he can hold up to that load. Yeah. Um, but it's, it is just a shame knowing that we had that guy on our roster that we really needed. And we had to let him go for basically functions of the cap. And what sucks is that I think we kept him 
and picked up his option before we understood that Kemba Walker was coming. Yeah. And I think we very realistically could have declined that option and then signed him for a vet signed or him something. for you, we could have signed him for the uh, taxpayer mid level, which is what mm-hmm. um, Cantor is making, and that's more than what he's making right now. It's like five and a half. Uh, million I think it's like seven. Oh. Maybe it's five and a half. Which would be actually almost exactly equal to what he's making now. Either yeah. way, there were ways to facilitate that. There may have been a way to facilitate that if you, you know, had tampered more effectively. <laughs> but I also think that they thought Al Horford was coming back and all other kinds of offseason stuff sure. that just kind of led to Baines leaving, and it sucks. Um, but I did want to mention that he really is exactly what the team needs. Yeah, he is. And it, it, it's been quite a torrid pace that he's starting off. The statistics are insane. Interesting to note that other guys who are having a great start to their seasons include Kyrie Irving from a statistical, individual, um, you know, box score standpoint, not from a wins-losses standpoint, but Kyrie has been really showing out for the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, Marcus Morris has been having, a, so far, an all-star-like season as well. And then Terry Rozier even has been playing really well for the Hornets up until wow. that game against the Celtics where he really had a... A rough night on Kemba Walker Day. I think um, really well is an overstatement, maybe, for how well Terry Rozier's been playing. He's fair been enough. okay. As well as they would have yeah, hoped he would yeah, play he, in yeah. Charlotte. He's but shooting over Day, 40% from the yeah. field for the first time in his career, so that's big. Yeah, he was 1 of 11 with four turnovers and a blowout loss when Kemba returned to Charlotte, which was they made a huge deal of Kemba Walker. They love him in Charlotte, even though he... Basically told the city he was going to return there for less money and then kind of left. Well, he got fucked. The organization totally fucked Kemba over. Yeah. The, the organization publicly said that they didn't expect him to make All-NBA and that messed with their plans. It's Not like, you cool, know what? Charlotte. That's such a... It's such a lame thing to say. Also, he deserved to make All NBA, so you should yeah, have expected incredible. that. Yeah. And he, you know, he's their franchise's all-time leading scorer. He's been the only bright spot in Charlotte in a long time. Yeah. So it was nice to see him get that appreciation, get that tribute video. Yeah. Um, I think it was hard for him, and it's why he started the game slow. But I love having Kemba on the Celtics. He's so fun to watch. He's awesome. He certainly outperformed Rozier, at least. And uh, another fun side story from that game in Charlotte was Grant Williams, who went to school in Charlotte, had 400 friends and students from his alma mater, Providence Day School, to uh, attend the Hornets awesome. game and support him, the Space Lord. <laughs> That's right. Nice. Yeah. Um, uh, what else do we have? Marcus Smart is now sixth all-time in uh, three-pointers made for the Celtics, creeping up there on A.V. Bradley. He will probably pass Bradley for fifth during this season. Um, so he passed Isaiah Thomas recently. And Mike and Tommy have now celebrated their 38-year anniversary of broadcasting together. Can you imagine working with one person for 38 years? It's, They're the perfect it's pretty duo. incredible. They're, They're amazing. Amazing in the booth together. Obviously, Tommy, you know, doesn't travel for road games other than the Knicks um, anymore, but he's still in there in the studio. Still really awesome to hear his commentaries. He's made some classic Tommy outlandish comparisons early this season. And one of the, uh, the swag alerts we have this season is uh, Tommy has started to mint a nickname for Kemba Walker, Little Poppy. He he likened Kemba's um, involvement in the community, his clutchness on the court, to that of Big Poppy. 
And he's trying to make Little Poppy Stick as a nickname for Kemba Walker. What do you think of that nickname? I think it's a terrible nickname. But yeah, it came from Tommy, Tommy Hines, and Tommy he's a legend. Old. So, uh, you know, I think it, there's going to be some support around Little Poppy. I'll be interested to see if it sticks. But Cardiac Kemba, that's always what he's, he's going to be his number one nickname for me. I like the name Cardiac Kemba because it, it's true. He's incredible. I, I love Kemba Walker, I think. Um, you know, I don't want to harp on our old point guard, but I do think he fits so seamlessly with the way that Brad Stevens wants to play in a really cool way from a schematic standpoint. And I think that's why we're seeing this dominance from the Celtics early in the season. Um, He just allows everyone else to be themselves. And as incredible as Kyrie Irving is, uh, the way that he attacks is so... It doesn't have a rhythm to it. Um, And the lack of rhythm, I think, affects the other guys on the court. And I think... One of the things I've been keeping tabs on is the scoring numbers and shooting numbers of Kyrie Irving's teammates in Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. Um, it's too early to see any real trends, but it's something I'm going to watch throughout the season to see if if that's just, just the style of play itself has a negative effect if your team isn't built around you. Um, like the Cavs were kind of built where it was like LeBron, Kyrie, and then shooters. Right. And so no one else needed the ball. But Kemba is much more of a straight-line player. He's going to attack, pass, or shoot. And he does those things really quickly. And that quick decision-making has bled over to the rest of the team. Yep. And so I think, you know, like there's a reason why we're seeing Jason Tatum being more aggressive. And I think it's because he's being put in better situations yep. to be more aggressive. And Jalen Brown and Gordon Hayward and Javante Green and all of these guys seem like they have the green light and they know where they're supposed to go and what they're supposed to do. And the Celtics are attacking the rim with ease. It was really wonderful to see... Um, the decisiveness of Kemba Walker when he gets those mismatches against a big, he knows what he's going to do. He's either going to drive right past you and get to the rack, or he's going to look like he's about to drive right past you and then hit one of those classic Kemba step backs where he creates so much space. And it's such a thing of beauty, his footwork and the way that he steps back is, again, like Romeo Langford, just silky smooth. Yeah, and the way the way he breaks down a defense is really cool because he's... It's it's a lot more like how the Celtics played with Isaiah Thomas. Only like a it's like a supercharged version of that team. Like Kemba's a lot better than Isaiah. The little um, guy. Obviously, Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum are better than any wings that were on those teams. Uh, but it's the same concept where you have a guy who can get into the paint and then force the defense to adjust to them. One of the things about you know how Kyrie plays is he's not getting to the line a lot. He attacks the rim, but not in the same way. And what happens is that Kemba's breaking down the defense more effectively so that when he's swinging it, the guy who's receiving the ball isn't attacking against a set defense. And I think that's the big difference I've noticed from an on-court perspective between these two players, both all-NBA talents. Um, Kyrie, I think, undoubtedly, you know, quote-unquote, the better basketball player. But it's just been fascinating to see for this team construction and for how the Celtics really have been going for team construction now for like six years, this just fits better with it. Mm. And I think ultimately your best path to title is if Jason Tatum becomes an MVP caliber player. And I don't think there's any other way for this team to win a title really. So they're doing it right right now, and it's it's been really fun to watch. If Gordon Hayward returns to form, I mean, that's the other kind of big question mark that could carry them to that next level of being a title contender. And some people would say, you know, if they fill that gap at the five position and get a legit 
you know, center. But I'm not sure they need that. If Tice and Robert Williams keep up their trending really great play and Enos Cantor comes back to provide us some of that much-needed offensive rebounding and kind of post-scoring, they might actually have what they need there at the five position, even if they don't have a, a legit big man who can, you know, stop uh, the Joel Embiid's of the league from backing them down. I was definitely imp- in- impressed to see Robert Williams standing his ground and not getting backed down by LaMarcus Aldridge last night. So it looks like Robert Williams has improved his strength over the last season or so. Yeah, it's looking good. And I think, you know, I think the Celtics are pretty clearly the third best team in the East. I don't think making a trade for a big man is worth it. Like, you're making that trade to play Joel Embiid and Anthony Davis. Right. There's not really another guy that you're worried about in that Maybe respect. Maybe Drummond. He kills us um, on the glass. Yeah, but you know, you're not going to play the Pistons in the playoffs. That's kind of what I mean. Like, right. Unless you're talking the one about, seed or something. Right. If you're talking about a, in a playoff series, and even then, like Drummond can average 30 and 20 for a series, and the Pistons will still get smoked by the sure. Celtics. Like They don't have anything else. Um, Blake will probably be injured by then. <laughs> yeah. Fun game coming up tomorrow night where they get to uh, see Lucha, Luka Doncic come to town in Boston. Uh, playing the Mavericks, and uh, so the Celtics have finished up their road trip. Robert Williams was asked about the road trip, and although the San Antonio reporters tried to clean up his language, uh, fun quote from Rob Williams, he said, we got hella games left, hella games left. It's a great road trip win, all three of them, but we got hella games left. <laughs> Rob Williams, not got to convert those hellas to wickets if you're going to stay in New England. And I think that's probably a good place to end here. Um, obviously, we've got a long season left for all of our teams. Yeah. Um, so we'll be back next week to check in. What about uh, the Swaggler for the Celtics? Oh, we forgot about the Swaggler. Swaggler. We talked about the uh, big, the little poppy thing, so I forgot to mention the best part of the Swaggler, which was Marcus Smart's Versace bathrobe before she around in Charlotte. Uh, Marcus Smart is undoubtedly an action movie star uh, in the future when he retires from basketball. He quickly picked up five fouls in Charlotte, and it was time for him to put his bathrobe and his slippers back on in the middle of the third quarter. Uh, Marcus Smart, one of the most swagged out Celtics, one of the only guys who's not going for this haircut Celtics trend. He's letting his, uh, his style shine through. Haircuts have been good for the team, though. They have been, yeah. Kemba with his his short buzz is kind of setting the stage, and almost all the other Celtics are going this haircut style. So, are the hair, are the haircut Celtics going to be better than the fuck Thanksgiving Celtics this year? Uh, yes. No, I don't know. I think we're going to win more games than last year, personally, um, just because I think this team's going to bring more energy every night. But we'll see. Fun season so far. Yeah. Next, uh, next week, we'll get you another Patriots breakdown after the upcoming Eagles game. Uh, possibility we might be able to throw another episode up onto the, uh, the old podcast web before then, but don't hold your breath for it. So thanks for tuning in, everybody. Hope you enjoyed this installment of the Dynasty. We'll catch you all on the flippity flip. Yes, indeed, y'all.